0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, YouTube? This is uh, Minister Derek Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries, Um, I'm actually been doing a series on the nine fruit of the spirit. And what I actually want to talk about today is the particular fruit is the fruit of love. Okay, now we've already done in this series, we've done long suffering and we've done the fruit of peace okay and with the lord's help today we're going to break down the fruit of love because what a lot of people don't understand is there are different types of love but there's only one love that matters most and that's god's love okay so it's so important that we get to that place of understanding what god's love is about because everything outside of that is like a cheap second okay so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight the fruit of love. But I do want to read a quick article to you before we go into prayer, that we get some understanding of the types of love and what this thing is about. So uh, let's just uh, I'm going to read this real quick. And let's see what you guys think of this. Okay, it says arrows to agape. That's the name of this. And then it says there are four kinds of love. There's arrows, agape, phileo and storage. Okay. So it says the Greeks have four words to describe what we call love eros, meaning romantic love, phileo, enjoyment or fondness of friendship, storage, which is S T O R G E, it means family loyalty, and agape, which is unconditional love with uh, stick ability. I like to think of them broadly as eros, a love felt particularly within the body trembling excitement elation joy colored and inter and underpinned or underpinned sorry by deep and beautiful uh, procreative urges cs lewis distinguishes eros from natural sexual urges and lust because eros is a state of the heart and while it is intimately uh, related to sex sex can exit. i mean can exist i'm sorry Um, and often does exist without Eros enlivening, okay, enlivening it. So it says, it leads to children, family, joy, and laughter. It is good and right, but it is usually not enough to sustain a relationship long term, okay? So that's important that we understand that that's what Eros means. And then it says, Eros is an exalted and beautifully idealistic love usually between a man and a woman but can also be platonic and extend to deep intimate friendships socrates defined arrows as also working with the soul to recall knowledge of beauty and in that capacity contributes an understanding of spiritual truth while arrows can simply be an earthly thing Uh, When spirit infused and elevated to its true position, it speaks deeply of universal mysteries and is usually most keenly expressed within the most sacred of all relationships. Okay, so while I'm sitting here speaking of eros, I don't want people to get the impression that I'm just talking about that and I'm bringing up stuff from Socrates and this and that. That's not the subject. This is what the Greeks considered. Four different types of love so eros is kind of like that erotic love that excitement when you see people and you know it's unfortunate if we didn't have it there wouldn't be a lot of kids born okay because a lot of people's love or i would say their lust or attraction is one dimensional but we're going to find out how deep this thing goes and have some understanding of what god says is okay so it says about the eros and then it says um Error suggests that even sensually based, uh, let's see, keenly expressed between those relationships, sorry, that between husband and wife. And then it says, Arrow suggests that even sensually based love aspires to the non-corporal spiritual plane of existence. That is finding its truth, uh, just like finding any truth. Uh, leads to transcendence the elevated buzz of erotic love is said to naturally fade within a year of its beginning perhaps it is too exhausting and all-consuming perhaps we just get lazy i don't necessarily think it has to fade at all and part of the purpose of this blog is to record my thoughts and experiences on eros and how we can nurture and maintain this beautiful love in our lives you know, when you call that love in many ways, like I said, I call it lust because when you look at it, it's it's leading you in a way that if it's first, then it doesn't really have real substance. OK, that means when your attraction eventually leaves for a person, then your love ends up going, too. So as you can see, that's not love. What we're going to talk about is the love of um, the spirit. OK, the spirit of love, the fruit of the spirit, which comes from God. So, this is the second. This is Phileo. Okay. And it says if Eros is the love of the body, Phileo is the love of the soul. It is easy love and affection. It is bent towards our natural taste and preferences. It embodies culture and beliefs. It's about the friendship you feel towards people like you with the same interests, social graces, and style. in the scriptures this kind of friendship love is used to describe many relationships god is said to have this kind of love for us and jesus jesus felt this kind of love for his disciples parents felt this way for their children and children to their parents it is not then a shallow love but rich in emotion and feeling like when your heart beams towards your child when they do something wonderful. However, it is also described as a negative shallow love, natural and exclusive and conditional. Phileo is soul love. Its uh, strength and value will depend on the elevation of the soul of the bearer. So this is true, you know, we can call ourselves loving people and we're gonna cover this tonight when Jesus talks about loving your enemies or taking your love beyond what the natural sort of love is, okay? So you see, phileo love is love, brotherly love, love towards your brother, your friends, you know, whomever you like, but it's exclusive because that love should be extended to all, but you don't see that in this world, okay? So now we're gonna look at agape because that's the kind of love we're gonna be talking about tonight. And it says, is more of a parental, mature, sacrificial kind of love. The Thayer lexicon describes agape beautifully when it says to take pleasure in the thing, or prize it above all other things, be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. In a way, it is as idealistic as eros and that it is a crazy love that will not let go. Agape loves usually at cost of the bearer. Agape puts the beloved first and sacrifices pride, self interest and possessions for the sake of that beloved. This is the love that God has for us, which inspired him to sacrifice his son and for his son to obey uh, and sacrifice himself. It is the kind of love we are commanded to have for one another. It is a love of supreme greatness. So you see, that's the love we're going to be focused on tonight, but we're going to cover one more love, but I'm trying to give people an understanding of the depths of love. All love is not on the same level, okay? And I only believe, honestly, the one we just read is the only true love that exists, but I'm just showing people where their level of love is or where it can be and where God wants to elevate it to because tonight we're going to be talking about the fruit of love. So the fourth is storage. This word is S-T-O-R-G-E. This is the love of community and family, often dutiful, sometimes unfeeling, but very strong nonetheless. It is a natural carnal love, and uh, but powerful enough to be a real hindrance uh, to spiritual growth, especially when family and culture are holding you down. It is a love that may pull you towards a lesser path. Now, we know that Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You might find a lot of people that are husbands and wives, and many of them may struggle with things that are going on in their lives. You might find one um, in a marriage that's more of a believer than another. You know, you may find children that are not believers and their parents are and vice versa. You know, you may have close friends and, and family that are not believers or are believers, and you are the opposite. And you see these things can pull you to a lesser path if your storage love, which is the kind of love that is, you know, towards family and, you know, those that you select. If these things, if any of these loves come before agape, then it's in the wrong place. And it's an unhealthy love because it won't help you spiritually. Man is made of three parts. He has body, soul, and spirit. In most cases, most people only understand the soul and the body because we can see the body and our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. But very few people understand the spirit where the spirit itself is the type of love that God gives us. I mean, well, it is the place where we commune and worship God. Okay, so without the spirit, You're just the walking dead. And that's something that we have to get. There is a greater plane of existence beyond body and soul. Okay, so I just wanted to read that real quick. And tonight we're going to talk about the fruit of love. So I am going to go into a quick prayer and then we'll get right into the lesson. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have with my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you open their eyes and their ears, that they may hear your truth. I pray that no man's heart be heard tonight, that no flesh be glorified. But by your spirit, Lord, will you bring all edification, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that your people may be built up, Lord, to the fullness of Christ, that they may pursue you as Lord and Savior when they understand the type of love that you have. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of uh, every spirit of evil, Lord, in this world that is against you. I pray in Jesus name, if it's not the Holy Ghost and let it depart this very hour that you might liberate us, Lord, and free us from the things that are not of you. Lord, for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. I pray and I ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so let's get into the lesson tonight. So tonight we're going to be talking about the fruit of love. This is actually part three of our series where we're talking about the uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We've already covered long suffering, and last night we covered the fruit of peace, so tonight is going to be the fruit of love. So without further ado, let's go to Galatians 5, and let's begin at verse 16. So I want to encourage people, as I've talked about so many times before, have your Bibles out in front of you so that you may have understanding and see yourself. I am not here to entertain. I want people to have an understanding, of God's Word why because there is nothing worse than a Christian being ignorant of the gospel they should desire it they should want to know it they should know God's Word because this is the sword of the Spirit which is our equipment for going into battle into breaking down strongholds that other people may be alive okay that may have Christ all right so this is uh, Galatians 5 and let's look at verse 16 and it says this I say that walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would, okay, so we understand very clear here that there is uh there is the spirit and there is the flesh. I have talked often before about." how these two were different is that the flesh may go one way and you've got the spirit on the other side and you've got the soul in the middle which is pretty much like a chain link okay the soul is neutral it's neither good or bad your flesh thanks to adam will never obey god okay thanks to jesus we have our spirits awakened to be a partaker of god's spirit that the you know that the spirit may lead the soul okay to guiding the flesh to doing what God wants so our goal as Christians is to become dead to the flesh and alive to God why so that way your soul which is your mind will and your emotions will obey God's spirit and allow you to commune with God okay so that's the importance of walking in the spirit that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh all right, look at verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That is kind of lusting after, you know, filthy desires of greed, things that are not of God. So then there's idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath strife and seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, which is like rioting or wild partying. And it says, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we understand that if we're walking in the flesh, the only thing that we can actually offer or, or manifest in our lives are any of the above adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness you know idolatry witchcraft murders revelings all these things that are wicked will be a part of our lives if we don't walk in the spirit okay so now let's look at the fruit of the spirit this is uh verse 22 why is it important that we know this because he says that those that are of the flesh that will do those things that we just read will not inherit the kingdom of god so we need to walk in the spirit so it says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance against such there is no law now once again i want to make the explanation that people may get is that you know long suffering there's no limit to that okay If you love, you know, there's no limit to love. There's no limit to peace. There's no limit to joy. So these are fruit of the spirit that there is no law that can govern except the Holy Spirit. This can't even be trusted on man to have because man is natural in his conditions for any of the above. So these are spiritual fruit that come from God. When Jesus says you will know them by their fruit, these are the type of fruit that he's speaking of. The nine fruit of the spirit. So it says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So tonight, the fruit that we're going to talk about once again is the fruit of the fle- of the um sorry, the fruit of love. That's what God wants us to discuss. So this is what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to give many examples tonight of what love is, what God sees true and pure love as and how God commands us to love so that we can be the children of God. OK, so I want to go to another place. Let's go to Second Timothy, chapter two. And I want people to look at this. This is very important that we have an understanding of why the fruit of the spirit are necessary. OK. OK. So this is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's look at verse 5. 2 Timothy 2 and 5, it says, if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So we understand even in this life, as we talked about before, that if you're trying to graduate from college, if you're trying to do anything in your life, and you don't strive lawfully then no one's going to give you a degree for nothing no one is going to have you you know um, get paid for not going to work okay I mean even when you count welfare you still gotta meet the conditions necessary enabled to be able to receive it or unemployment but the bottom line is you've got to strive for masteries you've got to strive lawfully in order to receive the things of God this is what Paul's talking about So look at verse six, and it says the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. So the fruit that we're talking about are the nine fruit of the spirit here. But if we're going to labor, if we're going to be successful, if we are going to mature in Christ and do the things that God calls us to do, we must be a partaker of those fruit. And he says, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So we must understand what Paul's talking about here, that we may be successful in having what God wants. But what we're going to find is that love of all the fruit is the driving force behind why God did what he did, why Jesus Christ sacrificed as he did, and why we do what we do if we call ourselves Christians and children of the Most High God. All right. So I want to jump right in. Let's go to... um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's get a description of what love is all about. This is a very famous chapter that you find a lot of people, when they get married, this is what they love to have quoted on their weddings, and it's unfortunate that those people don't even understand what this type of love is, okay? This is very, very important that we get an understanding of what God's love is. So let's jump right in with this. So it says, though, this is first Corinthians 13 and verse one, and he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So Paul is saying that this charity, which is agape, which is love, is something that God wants us to focus on. And I love the way the King James Bible uses the word charity and not love because You know, when you think of what God's love is all about, it is charity. What is charity? Simply to give, simply to do the things that God wants, simply to care for others and meet the needs of others. So I love the word charity here that the King James uses because it's not just love. We're speaking of God's love right now. He says, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, And all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So, this is true because charity will check you and make sure that you're in a pure heart, doing the things that are of God. Okay? More importantly than the gifts that we have or the things that we do are the motives behind what we do. So this is why a lot of people get fooled when they're in the world and they're listening to politicians and listening to all these people. A lot of girls even get conned with this too when they date no good men and vice versa, men dating no good women. They may have their boyfriend buy them a car or girlfriend say nice things and do all that, but what are the motives behind your heart? Many people can actually tell you that they love you only because they want something from you only because they have fear of being alone okay so you don't want to be wound up in situations like this where you don't know if true love is pure so this is why we're talking about love if you have the faith to remove mountains as jesus says and you can you know have prophecy from god that you can tell the future none of these things are valid unless that agape love which is charity is of god okay so i want to give a, a quick definition of the word charity here or agape that you guys may understand this particular love and guys we're going to jump right in with this so that's first corinthians chapter 13 and i want to look at the word charity this is g 26 okay and if you guys look at this the word is agape and it means brotherly love affection goodwill love benevolence and love feast Okay, so this is all about unconditional love. So it talks about even in Strong's definition, uh, that is affection or benevolence, specifically plural, a love feast, charity, dear love. So this is just talking about giving love. I love other definitions where it speaks about, you know, unconditional love, because that's the love that God has. So look at verse three and it says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, you see a lot of, like I said, politicians do things like this. They'll go out, they'll feed the poor, they'll do different things. But it's all about publicity, that they may seem like a righteous person and it's not coming out of righteous motive. So as you can see, politicians don't love you. They're trying to be elected, which I think is a bunch of garbage anyway. Don't, Don't get me started on that. But well, the bottom line is we're talking about love out of a pure heart. And that's something that we've got to learn to have if we are going to walk with God. OK, so then it says in verse four, it says charity suffereth long. So there's your long suffering concerning love and is kind. There's your meekness or gentleness. Then it says charity envyeth not. So it doesn't desire to take things from other people okay, or have bad feelings about them, you're going to be happy that the person has what they have if you love them. Charity vaunt, if not, um, itself is not puffed up. So it's not all about speaking of yourself. A lot of people do things like this, and they say that they're coming out of a pure heart. But you find in most people's heart, they claim the love. All they think about is self. all they think about is puffing themselves up not what they can do for others, not how they care for others. It's always about self. So that's not love out of a pure heart. Then it says, doth not behave itself unseemly. So it doesn't get out of place. It doesn't, you know, um, come out of the nature of love. Of course, we may get upset with one another and things like that. And we may say things at times. But you see, when you love, it's controlled. It's controlled. You'll only go but so far to what you'll say or do. It's not going to act out of character. Pure love is love, and there's nothing that you can do about that. So it does not puff itself up, and it does not behave itself unseemly, rudely, or unrighteously. It seeketh not her own, meaning it's not a selfish love, okay? And then there is, um, when it says, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. So there are times, you know, when you really do love, you can be frustrated with a person, you can be upset with a person, but to think evil towards a person, that's not pure, okay? That's coming out of another heart. But this is the real love of God, is not easily provoked. Now, if I were to tell everyone tonight that even with your sin that God is angry with every day and mine, that he's working out in our lives on different levels and degrees, we don't understand that God's love and his thoughts towards us are as the sand of the sea. God loves us that much that he's pulling for us. He sends people to minister to us. He goes to us constantly. The, the Bible even talks about that his love is poured on the just. I mean, his reign is poured on the just and the unjust. So as you can see, our God is a loving God. Why? Because God wants all people to find Jesus Christ, to be born again, that they may spend eternal life with God. Okay? So it thinks no evil. Look at six. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You want to know when someone has a pure heart or not, they will not rejoice in iniquity, meaning that when they're doing things that are not right, even if their thoughts are not right, they're going to say, you know, Lord, forgive me. This isn't good. I want to do right for you when it says that um, but rejoiceth in the truth you know' how many Christians or self-proclaiming Christians don't want to hear the truth in Christ don't want to know the things that God has for them you know and and this is how we know, Who's Christian and who's not? Though some things may sting and they may hurt, it says that a Christian or one who really does love, they rejoice in the truth. They rejoice in the correction, being proud that someone introduced him to Jesus to hear the truth. Guys, this is a pure heart. This is seven, verse seven. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things and this is speaking of all things of god okay this is true love that you're going to believe everything that god says you're going to bear the things that god tells you to bear or like a parent would have to a child or a husband to a wife because they love them okay and then it says a hope all things so even god's love the bible makes clear that jesus loved us while we were yet sinners that's something to really think about that even though you are out there living like hell, breaking hearts, doing all sorts of things, Jesus just came along and, you know, wanted you to make it, wanted you to succeed. So he pushed for you. He came and got you because he wanted you to hear the gospel and be real. So when it says hope of all things, though some people may be damned to hell at this very moment, God is hoping that you make the right decision and that you find Jesus Christ that you can be saved. Okay, that's what this whole thing is about. So then it says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hope all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, Uh, shall be done away. So you know that this is speaking of the love of Jesus Christ, this is speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ, that there will be no gifts that will go away until we're face to face with our Lord and Savior. So then he says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, I used to wonder for the longest, what did that one verse in 11 have to do with God's love? Because the the uh, subject on this chapter is about God's love. But do you know, although children may be very sincere in that children themselves are, you know, innocent in some ways, not that they don't sin, but that they're ignorant to a lot. But we must understand that, you know, there is nothing more self-seeking than a child okay when it says understand as a child when it says you know think as a child and did childish things you know the the true definition of childishness is selfishness okay so it gets to a point where we've got to grow up and not just care about self you can see two little babies or two little kids playing around one can have a toy okay put it down not play with it for the rest of the day Another kid will come over, pick it up, and begin to play with it. And what do you see next? You see that child get upset and want it back. Not because they want to play with it, but they don't want you to have it. So as you can see, that's not, you know, uh, an example of love. But you see, we can be grown grownups in, in our um, bodies, but still be childlike in the mind where we can be very, very selfish. And I'll tell you, a selfish person or a child will never look at the things of others okay they'll always be concerned for self when you're young in spirit it is the same mentality me my and i but what god wants us to do is grow and mature to the place of meeting the needs of god and meeting the needs of your brother okay so look at verse 12 now we i mean for we for now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now and i know in part but then shall i know even as also i am known and now abideth faith hope charity these three but the greatest of these is charity which is what that is the agape love that's unconditional love that's god's love so as you can see this is greater than anything whatever we do when we consider ourselves kind and good and wholesome We must have a pure heart when it comes to serving the one true God. Okay, so I want to move on. But I wanted people to have an understanding of that, of the importance of love. It is truly the anchor behind what we do. So I want to go to a place and see if we can identify with God's love and see if it's a part of us. So let's go to Luke 6 and I want to look at verse 17. I'm going to start there. So let's go to Luke chapter 6 and verse 17. All Right. All right. Luke six, and this is verse 17. And it says, and he came down with them and stood in the plain of the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people came out, came out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him and he healed them all and he lifted up his eyes this is jesus we're talking about on his disciples and said blessed be ye poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven blessed are ye that hunger now Um, uh, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So, you know, Jesus is pretty much talking about here when the whole world turns against you, that you should rejoice if it's for the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, now that's hard for a lot of people to understand, because we all want to be loved, we all want to be, you know, um, treated fairly and kindly. And we all want the affection from people. But Jesus says that these people that you're blessed when the whole world hates you when the world wants to go against you for the name of Jesus. Okay, look at verse 23. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So as you can see, walking with God, the true God, was not an easy thing. Jesus said here that even the prophets of old were hated, even though they brought the truth, even though they loved people, even though they wanted to tell people what would happen to them if they didn't obey God. They went through towns warning people, telling people about God's goodness, to yield to him, to stop the sins that they were committing. And when they did this, you know, they said that they were hated of all men. So Jesus is saying, well, that's what happened to the prophets. The prophets were good guys who loved people and loved God, and they were ridiculed and mocked because they brought the truth. Now, why is this important? Because you see, if we're Christians and we're going to follow jesus christ and do the things that jesus christ says to do this is where you're going to catch people that are going to hate you okay now what jesus is demonstrating here for the name of jesus is love when you speak in the name of jesus you are demonstrating the greatest love that any man can give to another okay but what you're finding is is that you know people are going to hate it it's not going to be seen as righteous So look at verse 24. He says, but woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. So what is Jesus saying? For those who refuse the gospel, for those who are rich. A lot of rich people don't want the truth in Christ. They don't want God's love. They don't even understand the importance of God's love. And then it says, woe unto you that are full. There are so many people that are walking around full of world knowledge, full of, you know, school knowledge or whatever knowledge that they have, and they don't have time for the gospel or for Jesus Christ. So he says, woe unto these people. Woe unto them for refusing the gift that Jesus Christ died for and the things that we're supposed to have in him. He says, woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets so as you can see you know false prophets were loved in that day like they're loved today you look at guys like td jegs Joe stein creflo dollar you look at all these guys i mean they're they're some of the biggest guys you can see you know they're on tv they're making all their money and there's joel stein's probably got every channel you know, in the country and even in some foreign countries. But as you can see, people love these false prophets because these false prophets give these people false love. They give them false hope, false inspiration. These things are not of God. They'll say things to make you like them, but they're not worried about your salvation. So as you can see, this is not the fruit of love. So he says in verse 27, but I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. So this would seem really hard to the flesh or to the carnal mind. And this is why God wants us to have his spirit so we can truly understand the love of God. The love of God is simply talking about here to have limitless love, to even love your enemies, which most people don't. Then it says, do good to them which which hate you. How many people can actually say that? How many people actually love those who hate them? Okay, and then it says, bless them that curse you. Can you imagine that? You're blessing someone that has bad intentions for you. And then it says to pray for them which despitefully use you. This is that agape love. This is the love of Jesus Christ. This is the love that God wants us to be a part of, because this is the only true love that exists. Okay, look at verse twenty nine. And unto him that smiteth thee on the on the one cheek, offer also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak forbid not to take away thy coat also. So we must understand even this type of love. You know, if someone wants to rob you or take things from you, I know what this sounds like to the carnal world. You spent all that money and you're not trying to have these things taken away from you. But we must have an understanding of what God wants and what God says. You know what? If you want the coat from me, then just take it. Why? Because great is my reward in heaven that God will bless me and allow me to go on. There is no carnal thing that we should have in this world that we love more than God. Jesus gave us two commandments when he was asked by a lawyer, which is the first and great commandment of the law. Jesus told him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind and thy strength. He says the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So as you can see, that's the fulfillment of the law is God's love. So this is what he's talking about. Look at verse 30. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and to him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Why? Because our reward is in heaven. So we are to give freely, to give cheerfully to those who are in need. And if someone wants to take something from you, don't ask for it back. This is what God's love is all about. I know that's hard to understand, but this is why we must be partakers in God's spirit and do the things of God. So he says in verse 31, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. So here we go. Do you think you've got a pure heart? Do you think that you love, you know, have true love? This is God's love. You see how foreign it is to us? Because we still idolize and cherish things that are in the flesh. But God's love is even to go as far as loving our enemies. And that's why when people get mad that Christians are preaching the gospel to them and telling them the truth, we must have an understanding that the gospel is love. The very fact that many of us can be living wrong and doing things wrong in our lives, and then the gospel comes, which is God's word, God's truth, God's life source, that he extends to man, that fallen man can have, and he can change and repent of his ways. That is love. But why does it seem rude today? Why does it seem hate-filled today? The reason is, is because This is a hate-filled world. This is a world that does not love the truth. This is a world that is wound up in their emotions, and what they say is right is right. They'll tell you that's your truth. That's your understanding. But as you can see, God's love goes beyond any of our love, and he tells us to love our enemies, to pray for them. We preach the gospel because we love, because we don't want to see people condemned or damned to hell. This is what God's heart is all about and he's willing to send his servants out there into the world even in the midst of danger even around people that want to kill them and jail them but God doesn't care he wants his love spread abroad that people may be saved so as you can see a christian fights for more than himself a christian's love must be pure and in order to get that gospel out and to preach the ways of God we must have God's love. Outside of that, all love is shallow, okay? So he says, um, look at verse 33, and if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And this is true. You can even take someone that's a murderer, okay? And what they're going to do is even they will love their families. Even they will treat their families a certain way. And that's why Jesus asked the question, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto men, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is good, give unto you that ask in a pure heart? So as you can see, when you love those who love you, there's no reward in that. But if you love them that hate you, if you pray for them which despitefully use you, that is God's love out of a pure heart. Man, so you see, this is God's definition of love. This is the only true love that exists. So as you can see, we've got some work to do concerning God. So it says in verse 34, and if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to uh, to sinners uh, to receive as much again. And this is why the Lord has even pricked my heart and gotten me to the place where I don't lend anymore, okay? I give. If God is good, which He is and He has been to me, and He's giving me that I may give another, that's all I'm concerned about. I'm not worried about myself. I'm not worried about my well-being. What I am most concerned about is that person needs it. So you see, there's a lot of stress behind looking for someone to pay you back. You know, then what was the point in even giving? You know what I've learned over the last few years that when I give and I don't lend. God is good. He provides and he gives you back, man, maybe a hundredfold for what you have given. And it's not because that's the purpose of doing it, but it's because you understand that God is the overseer overall and God is good. So, you know, he always takes care of me no matter what I give to others and praise the Lord for that, you know, but some people can only cherish in what people do for them. Some people can only, you know, feel good about giving to receive. But as you can see, God's heart is so far above that. He says, do not lend. Just don't even ask for it again. Don't even look for it. Let it go and God will provide. So look at verse 35, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind even unto the unthankful and to the evil. Man, look at the love of God. He is kind even to the unthankful and the evil. Man, I just want God to make my heart like this. And it's an interesting thing we should understand about the way that we're made, us truly being the temple of God, because our heart, the very makeup of the four chambers with the four valves, these are... You know, the heart resembles the throne of God. So we should all be praying as Christians and, you know, that we want, you know, get stronger in Christ, but to make our hearts the throne of God. Because when God sits in that place, you're not going to look at these things and say, oh, that's a good idea. Let me try this. You are going to do these things by nature because Christ is living in you. This is the type of love that God wants us to have to our brethren and even to our enemies. So he says in verse 36, be ye therefore merciful, as your father there as your father also is merciful. So you see, this is the goodness of God, that we do the things that God wants us to. Why? So that we can become the children of the highest. That's the most important thing is to be like God, to have a heart of God, to grow those fruit in God. And as you can see, no man can do this of himself. When I first started giving people uh, money, you know, or just whatever, and not asking for anything back, that was strange to someone like me because I didn't have the fruit of love fully developed. And guess what? I still don't. It's growing in me and I'm learning every day. But now it feels natural to give and not to lend. It feels natural to have mercy on people and to see the need that they may find Christ or to help people to eat and do different things. That's all a part of a nature. So these things have to be organically organically grown. This is not something you can just look at as a manual and say, hmm, I think I'll try that. Yes, you can believe it and apply it to your life, but it will never come alive until it is organically grown in the spirit that this becomes a way of life not just an instruction manual. The word will live in you and will manifest those fruit that God wants us to. So this is what the, the fruit of love is all about. So let's go to John 14 and let's look at some uh, God's love some more because I think we're gonna find something interesting here. So let's go to John 14 and let's look at verse six. John 14 and six. All right. what? let's begin in verse one, John 14. And let's look at verse one. He says, let not your heart be troubled. This is Jesus. Um, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. Then it's unto myself and where I am that where I am there, you may be also. So as you can see, Jesus has our best interest at heart. He wants everyone okay, to make it into the kingdom of heaven. We know that's not so because a lot of people are going to, you know, they don't believe. People don't want to believe, but it's our job as Christians to tell people that Jesus has prepared a place for us. God doesn't want one person to fall. He wants all men called to repentance. But it's how many will repent? How many will believe God? How many will want to walk in the ways of God? Because a lot of self-proclaiming Christians are going to go to hell, okay? Simply because they relied on their pride and they relied on things that they thought they were doing and not letting this word live in them and being one to one, loving God and Jesus Christ first and foremost. So let's look at verse four. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know uh, not whither thou goest, and how can we uh, know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth uh, ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, she was the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, shew us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So you see, as Christians, Jesus never relied on himself. He relied on the Father that was within him. So what do we have? Jesus Christ in us. So you see, we've got to get to the place of growing Christ in us, making our hearts the throne of Jesus Christ, that we might do the will of Jesus Christ. All right. So then he says in verse 11, he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than thee shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So as you can see as Christians, when we talk about walking with Jesus and doing the things that Jesus says to do, there's a very um, strong key ingredient here that many of us might be lacking, because some of us may say with our mouths, I believe you, Jesus. But Jesus is seeing the belief in him as something greater than what we're here reading. You know, believing is an action, as we talked about before. So those are things that God wants us to pay attention to, is that if I believe, I will do a certain thing, okay? We will never do what we what we don't believe in. We're only going to do those things that we believe in, that it will be so strong upon us that, Lord, I believe if you say to do these things, this is what will be done. And this will be the, the result of having God's favor. Okay, so let's look at what what we're missing here. Look at verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So some people would say, Lord, I've been asking you, I'm asking you for a lot of things. But it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. Let's look at the missing ingredient in verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. He didn't ask you to feel about it. He didn't ask you to, you know, say any particular thing about it. He says, if you love him, if you love Jesus, then keep the commandments of Jesus. So how do we show God's love? How does the love of Christ come alive in us? Simply through obedience, because if these are the words which are life, which are spirit, that we should follow and we don't follow them, then how can we reap the benefits of what God says? But if we love God, if we love Jesus Christ, and we love the things that Jesus tells us to do, okay, and we, we partake in them through obedience, then we love him. How can I tell Jesus I love him and I'm a fornicator and I'm an adulterer and I'm all these different things? I can't love Jesus because he's telling me the way of life, but I'm not partaking in his truth I'm doing what I want to do. Okay, so true love stems from obedience. That even is to a husband to a wife, parents to children, or children to parents. If you love them, you will obey them. Okay, and that's what this is about. Not in a twisted way where the parent might be into something sick or whatever. I'm speaking of God's love, I'm speaking of the love that comes from God and His Word. That if we obey these things, we will. if we love Jesus, we'll obey Jesus. And it's that simple. So look what he says next. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that's the Holy Ghost, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, uh, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So as you can see, we've got a powerless salvation unless we have God's spirit. All the things that we're naming here, even keeping the commandment, loving your enemies, doing all these things we cannot do unless one, we love the Lord and two, be partakers of his spirit. When God sees that you've been obedient, when God sees that you love him and that you are focusing your time and attention on him, He will breathe his spirit upon you where life will spring forth in you. So you will begin to grow the embodiment. You will be the embodiment of what Jesus Christ was when he was here. But this is not something we can do of ourselves. And this is definitely not something we can do of the flesh. This is about being a partaker of that fruit of love simply by obeying Jesus and allowing him to grow his life out of us. So he says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because um I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father and ye in me and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So you see what that manifestation is? That is the growth in Christ to do the things of Christ, but it begins in obedience. Jesus said, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. Okay, so do we love Jesus? That's what we're here to find out. And if we got this in our hearts, where we're not fully obeying him, then we need to pray and be very sincere to love the lord thy god with our heart mind soul and strength if you spend more time with jesus if you spend more time in prayer you spend more time in his word you spend more time in the spirit you will become one-to-one with jesus then obeying jesus won't be the problem why because christ will be in you and growing in you and the only one who can walk this thing out in pure love and perfect love is god and jesus christ our lord Okay, so that's important that we understand this. All right. So let's go to John 15. All right. Right next door, guys. John 15. And we're going to start at verse one. All right. All right. Sorry about that, guys. This is John 15. And let's look at verse one. He says, "I am the true vine. This is Jesus, and my Father is the husbandman, like the gardener or the one who takes care of the garden. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit." So you understand, Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the husbandman, and the Father says that every, or Jesus says that every one that doesn't bear fruit that God the Father will take away. Okay, so God wants us to be productive, but if you begin to bear fruit, God begins to continue to purge you, why? So that you can bring forth more fruit. So right now we're talking about love. Then we'll be talking about peace and long suffering and all these different things that are of God. God begins to purge you and take over more parts of your life that you can grow more fruit or have more of a particular type of fruit okay so let's look at verse three now ye are clean through the word which i have spoken unto you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me now we know that we're talking about fruit of this of spirit here we're talking about love in particular When we find ourselves frustrated and can't have things right in our lives we find ourselves agitated and in the flesh and maybe argumentative and you know lazy and everything else this is because we're not drawing close to jesus christ which is our source of life okay the spirit is to the body of god's body as the blood is to your body okay if you were to tie a ribbon around your finger tight enough Your finger will clot up. And what will eventually happen? It will begin to rot away because there is no blood flow to that part of the body. Well, it's the same thing in the spirit. If we don't stay connected to Christ and do the things that Jesus Christ says to do, then we will wither away. Okay, so Jesus Christ is our life source. If we abide in Christ, he will abide in us. That's important that we get this. Okay, so then he says... In verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I just gave you guys a description of that. The blood of your body is the spirit to the the church of God or to the body of Christ. Okay, so look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So we should always be humble to the place of following Christ, doing the things that Jesus Christ says to do, and obedience is what's going to keep you okay, connected to Christ. God cannot be associated with anything that is not of his spirit. Our God is good. We're going to talk about, you know, um, in, in later series, the goodness of God, which is a fruit of the spirit if we are in sin god can't be associated with sin okay and that's why the bible says if you draw nigh to god he will draw nigh to you but it is our very nature that separates god from us okay so the closer we get to god the bigger he becomes like when you look at a mountain from a distance you know the size of it didn't change as you draw closer you're getting more revelation and understanding. Of that God or of that mountain. Okay, so that's what God wants us to do is to draw closer to Him that He can be in us and that we can do His will. Okay, because if we're not productive for Christ, then what He's going to do is He says, Men gather them and throw them into the fire. So you know what that means, okay? Anyone that is not productive or doing the will of God will not abide in the kingdom of God. So let's get back on this love. This is what we're talking about. Look at verse seven. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. So if you abide in God's word that we're reading and we're talking about now, then God will manifest himself to you. Okay, we can ask God for anything and he'll do it for us if it's of his spirit. Look at verse eight herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples as the father hath loved us so have i loved you continue in my love now this is big let's look at this jesus says look at this again in verse 8 herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples as the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. So this tells us right here, what the way that the Father felt about Jesus Christ, sacrificing his own son, that we may have eternal life. God wants, well, Jesus Christ wants us to continue in the same love that Christ has for us. You see, there's not enough sacrifice in the body of Christ. There's not enough sacrifice in the world. People are self-loving. And then you read 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible makes clear that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. This is why you got people on Facebook and, and you know YouTube and Instagram and all these things taking selfies and you know, doing things for self. This is where women even get the mindset today that it's okay to abort a child for their, you know, feminist, you know, movement. Um, I'm a woman, I can make my own choices. That's the love for self and that's murder in the first degree. So we must understand that we can't have God's love if we're self-loving. What makes people abort children? The love for self. I'm not ready to do this. And don't you dare bring up to me tonight about women being raped. Okay. Because that is in the less than one percentage uh, less than 1% of those who actually, you know, um, are having abortions. Okay. So don't run that. That's what the feminist tried. We're talking about tonight, God's love and having an understanding of what this love truly is. This love of God's is selfless. So he says, as the father loved me and I have loved you, continue in my love. We should love the brethren. We should desire to do the things of God. We should love those who are even our enemies. Why? Because only a selfless person can do the works of Christ and truly be a Christian. So anyway, he says, continue in his love. Look at verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So, you know, that even includes going out and preaching the gospel. That even includes washing the feet of your friends, if so be, or if someone's that much in need, okay? That's coming in a later study in the series, but we must have an understanding of what God's love is. It really is Selflessness. It is 100% selflessness. When we stop thinking of self is when we're going to get God's will done. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Romans twelve one and two, that we beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, That we may um, do what is that, um, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay? The only way we're going to meet the will of God is when we love God first and foremost more than anything with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't be two people together fornicating together talking about you love them because you're damning that person to hell. Okay, so we must understand that pure love out of a pure heart will be the type of love that God wants us to have. When we have loved righteously in Christ, then we can love our neighbor right. And that's what it's all about, because God's love is selfless love. And that's really all the love that truly exists. So he says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as i have loved you greater love have no man than this that a man laid down his life for his friends greater love have no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends you see what god's greatness of love is god's explanation of what love is laying down your life for your friends does this mean suicide absolutely not This is speaking of that living sacrifice that is willing to go to meet the needs of the people, to preach the gospel, and to help your brethren where they are in need, even your enemies, if that's what God wants you to do. That's a commandment. So our love should remain pure and be in Christ. And this is what's so sad about us today. We think we love. I'm a loving person. Let's compare ourselves to the scriptures and find out if the fruit of love which God gives us for those who are of Christ have. You see how separate his heart is from ours? God loved and he gave. We love and receive. <laughs> we love and pick what we want out. We love and take care of self first. And that's garbage in God's eyes. God wants us to be of the truth that we might be of Christ. Let's move on because we don't have a whole lot of time with this. But, you know, hopefully we're getting some understanding of the fruit of love. Without love, you can do nothing. And your love has to be pure love. Let's go to 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2. Pure love. Only one who has it is our God. All right. First John chapter 2, and let's look at verse 1. He says, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So not just for the brethren, Jesus Christ is also the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Why? because there's a potential chance that someone can get saved and follow Christ, okay? But we must understand, too, when it says he is a propitiation and an advocate does not mean that it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, that it's a, you know, super grace card, but we can sin willfully and do the things that we want and then just say, Lord, forgive me. Now, God knows in many cases we can be weak in the flesh. Things can happen to us in the flesh, but God wants us to continue to walk with him and to ask him to remove things from us. Okay, but once sin is known to us, and we know it's a sin, and we continue to go down that route, now we find ourselves in dangerous territory. Now, if you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, Lord, I'm struggling with addiction, I'm struggling with fornication, I'm struggling with lying, or, you know, any kind of sins that are out there, Lord, take these things from me, that I can be made right then you have to be willing okay, to meet the requirements of what God says that we can walk with God. But what keeps us in many cases from doing these things is we feel like, well, that's just my way. This is me. I can't change. And no one wants to talk about that dirty three letter word, which is sin. But you see, it's that which separates us from God. So we really want God's love. We can ask God to remove things from us that we can be made righteous. So anyway, he says, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So it's not just loving God, it's knowing God if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So you want to know where the love of God is perfected and how we get there? Look at verse four again. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we uh, uh, know we that we are in him. So those who are obedient, that is the love of God perfected. Look at verse six. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, uh, so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So a lot of us think that we love our neighbors. A lot of us think that we love our brethren, but I mean, you know, but if you hate, you've got any hate anywhere in you towards anybody, you're a liar and you're walking in darkness. So God's heart is not partial. God may hate sin, but God is love. God wants us to love one another. But you know, the question comes, as we talked about before, how can any man say he loved God whom he can't see and not love his brothers that he sees all the time? So you see, that's not a pure heart, not at all. We know we love God when we love our brethren. And that's the truth of the whole matter. So it says in verse 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, um, are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning." I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because ye have known the Father, okay so we must understand too, and I meant to bring this up earlier. if anyone is struggling with addiction to anything, we must understand that it says back in first uh, John one that um in verse nine it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as you can see, God wants us to be cleansed and God can help us to overcome anything that we're struggling with. All we've got to do is love God and believe, okay? And God will do these things for us. Look at verse 14. I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. So look at verse 15. This is the big one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, why is this important? Why do we keep going here as a ministry that people may understand? It's not that we don't want people to have things to enjoy in this life but we must understand that love for the world is what separates us from the love of God, okay? And this is why um, Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. You will hold to the one and you will despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Those are the words of Jesus. Now that's Matthew uh, 6, 19 through 24, that we must have an understanding that If we love the world, then it means that we are lacking in the love of Christ. If we love Jesus, we will hate the world by nature. What do I mean the world? Do I mean unsaved people? Absolutely not. What I'm speaking of is the trends, the fashions, the styles, the ways of the world we should hate because they are against God. That's why there are so many laws and things put in play today that love the world and hate God. That's why they're taking God. They took God and prayer out of schools. That's why they're removing God and his word from society today. That's why they want to tell you, you came from a monkey six million years ago, because they don't want you to be a part of the love that is uh, our God, our living God. Okay, this is what he wants us to understand. So you see, if you love the world or anything that's in the world, the love of the father is not in us. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. So we must have an understanding of what God wants, that he wants us to not love the world, but to love him. You know, it's almost like we have a certain amount of love in the heart that, you know, if it's tilted in one direction, you automatically will not have love for the other thing. It's kind of like a seesaw that needs to be balanced or it needs to be set on one side and not the other. So we must have an understanding that if we have love for anything of this world outside of God, and that is to have a deep affection for, okay, then the love of God is not in us. So he says in verse 17, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, I don't wanna make this whole teaching tonight carnal. I wanna give us some understanding. When he mentions the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, these are the ways that, that Satan attacks us. This is what he brought to Adam and Eve and they fell. This is what he brought to Jesus in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. And Jesus passed with flying colors because Jesus, um, you know, he crucified his flesh and he did not partake in the ways of the world. Okay, so Jesus denied these things because of his love for the father and his love for you and I. So the devil throws these things out there because he wants you and I to have a deep affection for things that are not of God and we've got to be yanked from these things in order to experience and have the true love of God. Okay, so he says, little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. So what is the word Antichrist? It means against or in place of, that's anti. It's either against Jesus or it's in place of Jesus. That's what Antichrist, truly means. Okay, and let's get some understanding with that. Alright, so then he says, um, they went out from us, but they were not all of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. So you see, we can't fake loving and knowing God, we're going to all get to a place that if we don't truly walk in the ways of Jesus, And have the fruit of love grown in us there's only a matter of time before we separate from god why because we're going to have something that will either be against god in our lives or in place of jesus in our lives and it's going to automatically push your heart away from him so you see eventually that which you love will be made manifest and will be made known what your true god is if you don't love the lord thy god with your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, it's only because you've got more love towards something else aside from God. Let's just pay attention to that. So I want to go next to, um, let's go to First uh, John chapter 3. We're almost done for the night, guys, but I just want to make a quick point. So let's go to First John chapter 3, which is right next door, and let's begin at verse 1. So he says, behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. So as you can see, Jesus says, if you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you and I are not of the world, the world hates us. So you see, this is a love affection to one thing or to another. If we truly love the world, if if we're part of the world, the world would love you. But Jesus is saying that we'll be or or John is saying here that we'll be the world doesn't know us and hates us because of our love for Christ. As you can see and have we have described tonight that the love of Christ is so foreign to the world. Okay, and that's what we got to look at. Look at verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. So this is talking about a glorified Jesus, a resurrected Jesus. When we see him one day, the Bible tells us that our our bodies are going to be transformed, that they will be glorified bodies like Jesus Christ at his coming if we are in the spirit, or if we are really of Christ. So it says in verse three, and every man that have this hope in him, purifies himself, even as he is pure. So you see, we must purify self in order to walk with God. If we've got hope of salvation, if we've got hope of sanctification and the resurrection that is going to happen at, happen at the coming of Jesus Christ, then we must purify ourselves by letting the Holy Ghost work in us. Okay, so what we're doing tonight is not trying to hurt people. We're just trying to tell people God's love in comparison to our own. Why? So that we can be sanctified and begin to live and desire the things of Christ that we can be raised also on that last day. This is verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the Lord. For sin is the transgression of the Lord. And ye know that that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous." He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And this is why I try and encourage brothers and sisters to get full of Christ, even me, myself, drawing closer in the spirit with the Lord. Because you see, we are sinners up until we have given all things over to Jesus that he can govern every part of our beings. Why are these things brought to us? Why does he tell us about his word? Because he wants us to be able to be sanctified in all things we do. Okay, idle words will be judged. Okay, Lord, I'll watch what I say. You don't like fornication? Okay, Lord, I'm going to back away from that sinful life that I desire you. Okay, when you say pray without ceasing, okay, Lord, that you can remove the carnal sins and desires from my life, that I can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, so you see when it says only those that are of righteousness will do righteous things, Jesus says that, you know, a good tree bringeth forth good fruit. So this thing is totally organic and what we are to be for Christ. So he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So what does this mean? This is speaking of manifestation of God. This is speaking of organic growth in God. This is to the place of Christ being formed in us. Yes, we're born again, but we're going through the born again process as babies learn how to walk. We learn how to walk as babies learn how to see. We learn to see. We learn to hear. We learn to understand. We eventually get bigger and stronger and more mature and are more likely to follow what God wants us to because we are growing. Okay, so this is talking about born of God. This means full manifestation of God. We will not sin because we'll be led by the spirit. All right, so then it says, um, all right, um, in this, okay, this is verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifested and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not is, um, neither, neither he who loveth not his brother. So as you can see, if you don't love your brother, That's not of God. Okay, look at verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother and wherefore slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So as you can see, Cain was of the devil. Cain might've been born from Adam and Eve, but as you can see, Cain had a very nature that he would not give to God. And in doing so, he hated righteousness and he killed his brother. This is why people turn away the gospel. This is why people don't love their neighbor. They hate darkness. Jesus says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Why people won't come to the gospel, be exposed to the gospel, want to transform their lives to loving, as the gospel says, is because their deeds are evil. They would rather walk in darkness than come into the light with Christ. And this is why we must have the understanding of what God wants and what his desires are. You can always tell when our hearts are going farther away from God or the desires of God, because when we were of God and he became our main focus, we began to do things of God. People start getting a little thing, little job, little position, little money little things in life, little relationship or whatever, and you'll start to see those things wane. That's why we must love God first and foremost, because if we love him, then his commandments will be brought to us and we will obey them and continue in the work of loving our neighbor. So he says in verse 13, marvel not my brethren, if the world hate you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And there were many people in my life that I thought that I truly loved, only to find out that I don't have the love of Christ. I loved them for things that I could have gotten from them. I loved them because, you know, uh, my heart wasn't right. I lusted after many, you know, things because of I thought, you know, I thought at the time it was love, but I didn't have an understanding of God's love because I was unsaved. But now that I've given my life to Christ, he's showing me every day how far his heart is from mine and how much I need to draw to him, making his throne my heart, that he can do what he needs to do in me. So he says in verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So now you guys are hearing it. You won't think I'm making up John 15 and what Jesus was saying. Read this again. Look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So as selfless as Jesus was to us, We need to be for the brethren. This is all a part of that fruit of love that Jesus has. So look at verse seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So if you see that there's someone homeless that needs food, that needs shelter, that needs clothing. And you can walk by them and use the excuse they may be on drugs. There's something wrong with that picture, because even a drug addict needs Christ. Even a drug addict needs to eat. Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. So we need to have an understanding of what God's heart is in comparison to ours. He says, man, that that's evil. If you like this verse 18 My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that's why you got a lot of these prosperity preachers and others, these soft soap messages preaching love, but they forget to bring to mention sin or they conveniently leave out sin. They don't love you because true love is of the truth. If you're standing on a train track and a train is coming, I'm going to tell you the truth about how to get away from these things, okay? Or how to get off the track, because I don't want you to die. But if I, you know, on false love, we'll say, well, I want you to like me. I don't wanna meddle in your business. So I'll see you in danger and not tell you the truth. How is that love? How is that love for Christ? How's that love for your brother or anybody for that matter? Even love for self, that's probably what you would call it. So he says in verse 19, so, not being in deed or, I mean, not being in word or neither in tongue, but we should be outwardly expressing the love that others have. There are a lot of ministers out there, they'll give people CDs to look at and to, you know, and all this stuff to hear the gospel. But a homeless person needs food, they need shelter, they need clothing. Okay, so these are things that we ought to pay attention to. It's not just in pre- preaching the gospel, but if you see a brother's in need, Man, look out for them, even if they are your enemy. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So you see how if you love God, you're going to obey him? That means the things that are pleasing in the sight of God. I want to conduct myself in a manner that is pleasing to God. I'm going to give God my vessel because I love him and I want him pleased with me to fill me with his spirit. That's what the love of God is all about. It is so selfless. So let's skip now. Let's go to 1 John 4. I'm probably going to conclude here, but we must understand what love perfected is in walking with God. All right. This is 1 John 4. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. And a lot of people feel like they're preaching love when they're leaving out so much truth. I mean, you can't love someone if you're not preaching them the truth. You hate them. Look at verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. So you see, the spirit of Antichrist means that which is against Christ, okay? Against Christ or in place of. Because some people may say, well, I'm not against Jesus. Yeah, but what's in your life that's keeping Christ from manifesting in you? That's the spirit of Antichrist, okay? So it says, um, look at verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he which is Christ that is in you than he that is in the world. So we must understand if we're going to go out in confidence and love of Christ, we must have Jesus Christ in us to get the job done. Look at verse five. They are of the world. Therefore, speak they of the world and the world heareth them we are of god he that knoweth god heareth us he that is not of god heareth not us hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error so you see those who love god and truly uh, want to be with god will hear the words of god and want to conduct their lives in accordance with what god wants those who are against the nature of god or the desires of god Will go against it. And that's the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Ghost that guides us and leads us unto doing the things that God loves. And then there is the spirit of error that takes you away from the truth of God, okay? Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We've already talked about, guys, what that love is. That is that agape love, that's that charity love, that's that selfless and unconditional love. I've found a lot of relationships where, you know, women will even ask the man or the man ask the woman, you know, do you love me? And they'll say, yes. And then they'll say, well, why do you love me? And the person will say, well, I just love you. And they'll say, no, no, there's got to be a reason. Why do you love me? Because that sounds shallow. No, it's shallow and looking for a reason to express why you love someone why because if I have a reason that I love you then there are conditions that go around that that reason and if those conditions are not met then that person will stop loving you so you see true love is unconditional love it's the only kind of love that comes from God you don't need a reason to love you simply love because it's Christ in you and that is what you do. It's a part of your nature, okay? So that's what we must understand about love. It's a part of your nature if you walk with Christ. But if there's a reason to love, then that's not true love. That's conditional love. But God wants all love to be unconditional, without condition. I simply do. And if they can't accept that, I don't know what to tell them. But you should never love for a reason. You love because it's a commandment of God. God commands you to love, which means it can't be a feeling. It's a commandment. And if it's a part of your nature, you will do it by nature. So look at this. So he says, seven beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So let's get the true definition of love. Love is in the person of God the Father in Jesus Christ our Lord. Where there is no God, there is no love, because love is the presence of God. Unconditional love is the presence of God. Everything else outside of that is conditional. Look at verse 9. In this, was manifested the love of god towards us because that god sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him so you see what god's love is you see what it keeps pointing back to the epitome of god's love is god giving up jesus christ to be sacrificed for you and i to have eternal life that is the truest definition of love is god loved and he gave even something or someone so precious as Jesus Christ, his own son. Just because he's God doesn't minimize that he's the son of God. We must understand this. No father would want to see his own son mutilated, mangled, and crushed for a people that refused to serve him, okay? But that's the love of God that he gave up his own son, And that was painful to watch, but he had joy in it because he knew that you and I would spring forth life from it. It had to happen in order for you and I to get saved. So you see, you've got to go through birth pain sometimes. You've got to go through struggles. You've got to go through things in life in order to achieve those fruit that that the Bible talks about that we need. Tonight, we're speaking of love. You know, you don't just sometimes you don't love your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister or people, people will exhaust your feelings. But the commandment of God to love your brother, your wife and your husband, your children, even your enemies will get through that and your love will be pure. Look at verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see how that goes together? You see how even though Jesus Christ died for our sins and God showed us love, the way that God loves us, we should love the brethren. And that's what the Lord mentioned in John 15. Greater love hath no man than this. You guys want to know what the epitome of love is? One, it's the presence of God. Two, it is giving your life for your friends. Okay, now that's an awesome work. It doesn't mean just dying for them. It's talking about sacrificing your life that people may meet or get to know this Jesus. So he says in verse uh, 12, No man hath seen God at any time if we love one another. God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected, meaning mature in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. So you see, we can't love this way unless we partake in the very nature and spirit of Jesus Christ our Savior. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son, to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. So you see how God is in those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just saying it openly, but to other people that they may also get saved. Okay, that's the love of God. So then it says in verse 16, and uh, we have known and believe that love, uh, the love that God hath uh, to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may uh, have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So the very way that Jesus walked in this world is the way that you and I ought to walk in this world, and that is love perfected. You know Jesus didn't love the world. Jesus didn't pray for the world. He wanted the souls and those who were of the world to come out of it, okay? So this is what Jesus Christ means, and this is what he's talking about. This is what uh, John here is, is mentioning, that the love of God dwell in us, if we live as God live or we walk as Jesus walked in this world, if we have given all to Christ, then we can go before the throne of God on that last day with great boldness because we were led by the spirit. Jesus was led by the spirit every moment of his life. And God expects no less from you and I because that is the love of God perfected. So anyway, he says in verse 18, you guys are going to get this. This is good. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And that's why on the last day when Jesus begins to judge people, He says the fearful and the unbelieving will be the first two in the leg of fire. I know a lot of people claim that they love people, but they're also afraid to preach the gospel. They're afraid to proclaim Jesus Christ in the workplace. They're afraid to do this and that. But the Bible makes clear there is no fear in love. You know, there are there are countless stories of, you know, people's uh, children or even their wives or husbands being attacked by wild, vicious animals in the zoo and you'll see a family member jump down there and beat the lion or the tiger off of that person. Now you would say, what made that person jump out there and do it? What makes a person jump in the train tracks and pushes someone aside, not even sure of their own survival? It is the the true love of God. You see, there is no fear in love if I love you and I know that you are condemned to hell, I'm going to preach the gospel at all costs that you might get saved. Look at the fear of the church today. How can the church love people when they won't even preach on sin? They won't even preach on things that are unlawful like homosexuality because of the fear of of man or the fear of the law. But if you truly love the homosexuals, you will tell them the truth about Christ. Why? Because you truly love them. If I see error and I love you, I'll tell you the truth. This is not me making judgments. This is the word of God. Okay, so there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And that's what it means in First John, not First John, Second uh, Timothy uh, 1 and verse 7 that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind. So we must keep those things in mind. When we have fear, that is not the love of Jesus Christ. The only one that we should fear is God, because it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. Okay. So anyway, it says um, in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? That's the question. You know, a lot of people claim they love Jesus, and they've never seen him. But yet they pass by their brethren every day in need of the gospel, of clothing, of food. And we call ourselves loving? We got some work to do in Christ that we can actually be this way. So look at verse 21, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So as you can see, it's not good enough for God that you just love God. God wants that same love to be reflected, I mean, not reflected, to be distributed to brethren and sisters, even to your enemies, that is the love of Christ perfected. How do we help our enemies? How do we show the true definition of love? It is to preach the gospel to them that they may have eternal life. That love does not just extend to this life, it goes into the one to come. So if you know that there are people unsaved without Christ, we need to give it to them. But my sister Sarah actually brought something up before um, I went on tonight. So it is interesting that I want to um, read it. It was one scripture that she brought up that I had not thought about bringing up, but let's go to it. Let's go to Romans 13. Man, that was a perfect scripture for tonight. And guys, I'm going to conclude from there. Right. This is Romans 13. And let's look on. Uh verse 9 he says for this thou shall not commit adultery uh, no actually um, look at verse 8 okay then this is where he's um, yeah so this is Romans 13 and let's look at verse 8 he says oh no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law for this thou shall not commit adultery thou shall not kill Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. So let's stop right here and look at this real quick. It says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, what problem do people have with God's law? Do you want somebody sleeping with your wife? So why would you sleep with someone else's wife? This is, these are things that, you know, make common sense. But if people hate messages like this, then it's very possible that you've got a beast nature. Okay, because only a dog would sleep with another dog and not even care or not. No commitment, no anything, just hooking up. So we must understand that, you know, God is just distributing love here with these commandments. Guys, look at them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. I mean, we all know that killing is bad. Thou shalt not steal. If it doesn't belong to you, then don't take it. That even includes the rich. Many of the rich have stolen from the poor so that they can have empires. That applies to you, too. Thou shall not bear false witness. Now, why would you want to lie on someone? You know, so, of course, there's no love in that. Thou shall not covet. Thou shall not be greedy. As I talked about before, the heart of the rich is that this world is one big pod, And they want to take seven eighths and maybe a few quarters of that. And then they want 7.6 billion people in the world to be a part of that one little percent. So you see how wicked it is when you covet, when you're greedy, because greed is not of the spirit of God. Okay, greed is self-serving. All right. So it says, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So that's important that we get some understanding of that, guys. Love is the fulfillment of God's law. You got people still trying to keep the old Levitical law today because they don't even understand what the law of the spirit is it is not the mosaic law it is that we may do the works of christ by nature that we're not given laws to do he says there is love joy peace long suffering goodness gentleness meekness temperance and faith for such there is no law and you got people still trying to keep laws to show their love to christ when all you've got to do is present your body as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable and not to be conformed to the world that you might know the perfect will of God. That's the love for Christ. So he says in verse 11, and that knowing the time that now is that now it is high time uh, to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife or envy. So Paul says, lay aside all those weights, those things that are against God, that we might be the children of light, that we may put on the armor of light, which is the fruit of the spirit, which is the spirit of God, but he mentions in thirteen riotous living, okay, partying, getting drunk, um chambering, which is living with someone and you're not married, and wantingness, which is greed and strife and envy, those are the works of the flesh. He says, put those things aside so that we can wear the full armor of God, have the armor of light on us that God can manifest and do works through us. Verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So hopefully we got some understanding tonight of what the fruit of love is all about, because God wants us to have unconditional love, pure love true love, love for God in Jesus Christ, our Lord, first and foremost, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. So I just want to say to people with that, I love you. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound and Trumpet Ministries, com. You guys can email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Hallett, H-A-L-L-E-T-T, letter J at gmail.com. I answer my emails frequently. And, you know, um, if I can help you or answer a question for you, I will. If I can't, then we can look it up. Or if I don't know, then I won't. But the bottom line is I want people to have a true understanding of what God's love is, because his love in comparison to ours, it's really quite laughable. Because in many cases, what we consider love is, you know, infatuation, it's obsession, it's lust. But how many of us truly love and with a pure heart? So I just want to say to people with that, I love you. I'm going to pray out and uh, we can go out from there. Heavenly Father, in Jesus name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your spirit of teaching, Lord. We pray that your clarity was brought forth tonight. We pray that this has been a blessing unto you and glorifying you and that it's been a gift to the hearers, Lord, that they may desire you and follow you. I pray and I ask, Lord, for those who are unsaved. I pray, Lord, for my brothers such as Michael Adams, our brother Ethan, my brother Carlin James, my sister Christina, sister Sarah, uh, my uh, Anna's mom, and Lord, just so many out there that are suffering and struggling. I pray for your peace, Lord. I pray for your love. I pray for your understanding. I pray for a double portion of your spirit that your people may walk in righteousness. I pray for that latter rain that it should fall. For you said that the the former house will not be as great as the latter. So we just pray, Lord, that we get built up, that we take this walk so serious that we truly love our brethren, even to the place of telling them the truth that they might get saved. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Again, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. See you around. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.